0: The we'll whole be right able to Hey everybody, Legs Malone here. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of Lunch with Legs. I am thrilled to bring an interview to your ears with the one and only Lola Rock and Rolla. <laughs> we, uh, we actually just recorded the interview uh, about an hour ago. We just, uh, we just finished it, and um, so <laughs> the conversation is still very fresh in my mind. This is easily one of the most enjoyable episodes I have had the pleasure of recording and uh, I have a feeling you guys are going to like it. Um, before we get started, I just want to remind you all to be in touch with us. If there is something you want us to talk about, if you want to, I don't know, if even if you have any ideas for people who you think would make great guests here on Lunch with Legs, please be in touch with us. Lunchwithlegs at gmail.com is our email address. And if you feel so inclined, feel free to support us here at Lunch with Legs. It is not free to do this podcast, although we are thankfully still pretty low budget. We haven't blown up quite yet, but hey, the future holds so much for all of us. (laughs) One never knows. But you can donate to us on our website. That's at legsmalone.com backslash lunchwithlegs. There is a PayPal button, and you can give at any level you want. If you want to read up on the different perks you can get, for giving at different levels, go on and scroll on down. Look for the sponsorship and advertising structure or blurb. I can't remember what I called it. Anyway, it's on there. So uh, by all means, please don't be a stranger. Check it out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I want to bring to your ear holes the one and only Lola Rock and Rolla. She is a B-movie director, par excellence, creator of Homo the Musical, uh, lead singer of sweet tits she just the list goes on um and she's such a pleasure to both talk to and to listen to she is easily one of the most colorful people i know i know i use that word a lot certainly in the last episode but it definitely applies to this one as well so by all means pull up a chair get real comfortable pour yourself a cup of something and get ready for the one and only lola rock and rolla lunch with legs lola rock and rolla thank you so much for being on today's episode of lunch with legs it's such a pleasure to have you
1: oh it's so nice to be here pal (laughs) how are you
0: i'm really well i'm really well i have to say i have a sleeping kitten in my lap so Things are okay right now. And by sleeping
1: kitten, you mean... A sleeping kitten. <laughs> yeah, actually, you do <laughs> mean a sleeping kitten. At this point. There is no uh, euphemism. The present. listenership will think that it's something else, but it's actually,
0: kids, it's actually just a sleeping kitten. <laughs> yes, a sleeping five-week-old kitten named <laughs> Helen Yeller, Aww. who's blind and loud. Hence her name.
1: Aww. <laughs> Water. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> what are we talking How
0: about? we? We're, we're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about your movies. Yay. About your amazing band, Sweet Tits. Yeah, everybody loves Sweet Tits. It's true. It's true. Although I do admit I have yet to see you guys in concert. But How
1: dare you? I, what, I the, what the hell am I getting naked for? <laughs>
0: It's all practice for yes, when I finally see you. Yes, it's practice
1: tits. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a busy time. Everything's really good, you know? So, working on Nefertiti in Space, as you know. Oh,
0: my God. Starring,
1: uh, you know, Maine Anders, the main attraction, and, uh, you know, a bunch of other silly people in the burlesque scene including yourself. Yes. Um, and uh, that's really, really fun. Um, I'm just, uh, everything's really green screened and, and you know, you can get footage from NASA that they just give you. And so it's really all my ridiculous friends running in front of these, like, amazing <laughs> pictures of the solar system. And, you know, I want it to be, like, the worst Star Wars takeoff ever made. <laughs> like, if you took Star Wars and the Wiz and smashed them together, that's Nefertiti in space. So. Wiz Wars. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you will yes, it's uh <laughs> it's gonna be Starwiz. It's Starwiz. I think we should call it Starwiz.
0: Like cheese whiz.
1: Uh yes. Only more artificial. Only yes. more artificial. Stay tuned for Star whiz, kids. <laughs> yeah, we're even doing a thriller rip off, rip off at one point. So um yeah, the film's going really well. I'm really happy. Uh yeah, I mean we're piecemealing it together, you know, no budget, uh, you know. No have you budget ever have you place. ever
0: had a budget for any of your films?
1: Um like a decent budget? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> like for me, if I have a couple thousand dollars and that feels like, you know, like, oh, we're really, really making it. Um, For Home of the Musical, we had a half decent budget the last time we put that on. We had, what did we have? We had like 17 grand or something. Wow. And of course still went over budget somehow. It seems like whatever your budget is, you always end up going over it. You know, um, for you know, for for the shorts, you know, you really don't need more than a couple thousand dollars for a short. You know, I'd love to be able to pay people; that'd be nice. And eventually, I will be able to. But you know, I have a bunch of feature-length scripts that I just can't afford to do yet Mm because you can't really do a feature well unless you at least have like even on in my B movie business. You know, you need at least twenty thousand dollars to do a feature. And so and so, I haven't really been able to do any of my features, but I just you know, I have them for when the time comes. So if there are any rich ladies out there that you know, need me to get on my knees and, and talk to them about the next budget. No, no, um, but, you know, I mean, sooner or later I know that I know that someone will see my films and they'll be like, wow, you're John Waters and so here's a budget for your next thing, you know. Well, most of your movies are on YouTube, aren't they? Yeah, um, if you go to Lola Rock and Rolla on the YouTubery, um, yeah, you can see pretty much all of them. So, you know, I did Brunch, you know.
0: Oh, Brunch, man, I rewatched watched that uh, two days ago. Did, did you post
1: the final cut of it? Yeah, well, what is fun? Final cut, ladies and gentlemen. I, I yes, cut it on true. I cut it on uh, on final I, I cut it on Final Cut, uh, and I decided that I want to recut it because I'm just now learning Avid, and so I'm going to recut it on Avid, and so you know. But it's basically I mean it's playing festivals and stuff already, so I have to say that it's that's fucking a, amazing. <laughs> that's I have to ridiculous. say, ladies and gentlemen, go to YouTube, uh, look for Lola Rock and Roll as brunch, or is it on Vimeo? It's on both. Yeah, it's on both. And it's really funny because I have all these festivals, like, contacting me for it, which is bizarre. (laughs) Um, It's the most disgusting and the prettiest thing I've ever made. It's a tampon commercial. It's really... It is a
0: study in the abject.
1: Yes. um, I, you know, as you know, I applied to uh, Michigan Women's Festival as a joke, and we got in. And then a friend of mine, who I always had a crush on, um, who will remain nameless for her own protection and mine but uh, she saw it at Michigan Women's Festival and she came up and she was like God I saw your film Brunch and it was so sexy and I just lost my crush completely because (laughs) folks it's not supposed to be sexy it's supposed to be kind of horrifying so but well, i mean isn't
0: it your token lesbian movie it is because people. short are, film rather yeah
1: because people always like you know i kind of make films like you like a drag queen would like you know all of my films are very john watersy like i was a tranny werewolf and dragzilla and i live living gay of course and you know All
0: classics in their own right they
1: really are um and nefertidian now nefertidian space you know i'll get into all these gay festivals and they'll place me with like some very serious like lesbian film and i'm making jackass movies i mean i'm making like you know the <laughs> silliest thing I can possibly make and and it just doesn 't fit like you know it just had i i had i got invited to this film festival in boston um and they played like five of my films all together and they put me in front of like this like African-American lesbian film about being butch or something like that and they should have put me with the Divine movie that's out, I Am Divine, which is an incredible documentary, everybody Mm. should see it. Um, But they didn't because I'm a lesbian they placed me in the lesbian thing and the audience didn't know what to fucking do. (laughs) You know, because my sensibilities... Understandably. Right, right, but my sensibilities are very campy and very John Waters and Roger Corman and like, you know, George Romero, those are my heroes. You know, and it has nothing to do with my sexual identity or any of that stuff you know it's just like those are the movies that I like like the first film that I saw was you know Rocky Horror that was the first film that made me want to become a filmmaker wow. and so how old it, were you when you saw that seven no just good parenting ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did your parents take you to see? It in no, the theater?
1: my dad. Um, my dad, who was a director, he directed like crappy commercials and stuff. Uh, he used to go into movie theaters, and this is in the seventies, kids. Uh, he used to go into movie theaters with like the world's biggest video camera and just record things. And he so he had was a copy. He the original pirate. He was one of the original pirates. He really okay. was. Yeah, but with cameras like we're, that are like bigger than you know your body. And that was allowed. I, he's kind of a gypsy, so he just gets oh. to do stuff that other people can't do, like. <laughs> He's seventy-five and he still shoplifts, and he's rich. Like he doesn't have to. <laughs> oh he just does God. it because he thinks it's fun. Sorry, Pop. Everybody's just going to think you're Mister Rock and Roller. It's going to be okay. It's but, true. It's true. Pop but, a Pirate Rock. And yeah, Rolla. exactly. But he was like, you know, he's a gypsy. He just does what he wants, and so I think he just sort of walked in and acted like he was with some news station or something filming. So we had a copy of Rocky Horror, and I watched it over and over and over and over again. Wow. Because you know the scene where Frankenfurter comes down the, you know, the, the elevator. elevator shaft. Yeah. That him coming out of there and singing Sweet Transvestite completely changed my life forever. Because even as a really tiny kid, I didn't really fit in with any scenario you know i was always a weirdo and when i saw that i was like i don't know who this is i don't really understand what gender he is i don't understand what's going on but i know that those are my people like what they are doing is what i want to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and I've, I've done pretty well for myself <laughs> frankly <laughs> you know i have a good you know strong demented cult and it's only gonna grow bigger so yeah um god bless it my you know my musical homo the musical is because of rocky horror so
0: Excellent. Yeah. And now Homo, the musical, just ran for how long
1: was it? Well, we did three, we went up three times. We did uh, Off Broadway twice. Uh, at the wild project in the East Village. Um, and we did really well. We like, you know, sold out every night and then got a grant and then did it again. And then, you know, we, um, we did really well the second run and then there was a hurricane at the end of the second run. So I had to like be part of the cast, which was hilarious because there's dancing in it and I should never do that. Um, <laughs> I had to do like a lift with an actress and you could like hear on the recording her going, don't drop me, don't drop me, don't drop <laughs> me. Um, So that was kind of fun. Uh, You know, and then the last time we did it, we did it as part of Nymph, which is the New York Musical Theater Festival. And we were actually on, you know, Broadway, which was crazy. We did full off Broadway, you know, legit, you know, performance of it. Uh, You know, and then this year what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to shoot a short of one of the songs. We're going to do Plastic Love, which is about vibrators, of course. And it's, all, and it's all about how you don't need your husbands anymore because you have these vibrators. But it's all the song and dance, as you know, because it's a musical, um, <laughs> much like Rocky Horror. And so we're going to shoot that as a short, uh, and we're actually going to plug a bunch of money into it and just make it look really, really good, like really super pro, uh, and then try and get the money for the feature based on that, so
0: amazing yeah
1: and so we're going to do that in the spring uh Nefertitian space is also in the spring so it's all like crazy scheduling and you know but but we'll get it we'll get it all done and it's going to be really funny because you know as a director the shoots are going to be very different like Nefertitian space is really like you know the seat of my pants like okay what kind of clothes do you guys have let's shoot this thing you know like you know just really low budget and then this other thing is going to be very controlled on a set you know we're probably going to plug like you know, eight or to 10 grand just on this one day of shooting wow. with a professional crew and everything is very controlled and very, you know, and then, you know, my stuff is like, you know, all crazy and then I fix it in editing. So, so, you know, as a director, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun spring time. I'm really looking forward to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. My yeah. God, spring will be sprung. Yeah. Spring will be sprung. All right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I mean, there's just like a, there's a lot going on, you know, I'm super excited about
0: Never know yeah, it's happening. brilliant. it's yeah,
1: yeah. brilliant. Now, how many how many movies have you made? Uh, Never in Space will be let's see, will be my sixth short, which is crazy. Wow. Uh, and all of the films have played you know festivals everywhere, and you know, um, yeah, it will be my sixth short. And then I made a feature way back when called sellout and it was really just kind of like i can't really afford film school and so sellout was like my film school like you know i i had ten thousand dollars and i was like let me see if i can make a film for this and so i got all my friends together and we made this thing and uh and uh yeah i mean i'm proud of sellout i think it still needs another cut like i don't really have it out there as much as other things because i want another editor to cut it instead of me um and i'm happy with it and everything but you know my next feature um feature length film if home of the depending on when home of the musical like if home of the musical gets its money then That'll be my next feature. But if Home of the Musical doesn't get his money, my next feature will be the supermarket, which is...
0: Oh my God, I've read that script. I am so fucking excited for Supermarket to see the light of the screen. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Supermarket is going to be great. Supermarket is my, like, Evil Dead 2. You know, it's an homage (laughs) to that. Uh, And it's basically like a straight-up horror movie that takes place in a supermarket where all the food becomes possessed and murders everyone in the most disgusting way possible. And yeah, Supermarket, uh, again, you know, I really need a producer. If there's any producers out there ring me up attention producers attention producers because you know I'm a director and, and I'm not you know I'm trying to get better at figuring out how to get money and all that stuff but I'm not a business person like that I need someone to do that stuff for me So, but I'm looking and I'll find the right person but Supermarket will be my next feature film and that's going to be awesome oh so, my god yeah, we need about a hundred grand to do that properly folks so, uh. It's all right. 2014 is all about prosperity. That's right. And uh, making it happen. That's right. You know my number. Come and get me. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, I mean, as you know, I'm like consistently writing and putting work forth, and so. Oh, you're, you are a prolifically, you know, a prolific creator of
0: writing, of film, of bartending. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we all got to make money. Yeah, you got to make now. a
1: living. It's true.
0: But it's, it's impressive your, your oeuvre for lack of a better term. All, in fact, the Did first you say time,
1: oeuvre?
0: Leaving <laughs> <laughs> the kitten in your lap didn't know what that meant. It's true, it's true. She's looking a little shocked as a result. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, world-famous Bob was actually the first person to introduce me to your work. She gave me your DVD. Ah, oh, yes. Which has Night of the Living... Gay Dragzilla. Yeah, that's the gay fairy tales series. Yes, yes, the gay fairy tale series. Now is that DVD available online or for uh, you?
1: Yes, yes. You can you can order it through my website, I believe, still. And uh and all the shorts are online but without Lady Bunny's intros and outros, which is really Which is good. necessary it's, for the full yeah, it's really necessary. Lady bun, bun is just such a sweetheart and so hilarious and amazing. Yeah. She's perfect. Yeah, she really is. She's perfect. Yeah, as your fairy Tran-Ma. Yeah. Love it. I know. Yeah, life is good. Yeah, no, I'm always I'm always creating stuff. It's just a matter of, like, you know, getting the funding and being able to do the thing. And, you know, but I'm really the kind of person where even if we don't have the funding, you just have to keep moving forward and the funding will come.
0: Yeah. So yeah, definitely. As it
1: always does. Like, I always find a way to pay for everything, and and it happens. Like, you know, we might be, you know, our locations might not be as grandiose as they should be, but we always find a way to get it done. You know, and as, a, you know, an art, artist person, a fartist in New York, <laughs> you know, you have to do that. You can never stop working. You just keep going, yeah. and good things come of that.
0: So. It's true, and that, that's when that's when the true creativity shines You know, when you make do with what you have, even if it's like, you know, a piece of cardboard cut
1: out to look like a shape. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's you know, that's the beauty of that stuff. Like, uh, you know, last summer, Gina Gina Volpe is my uh, she's the composer and she wrote all the songs for Home of the Musical and she was also in the Lunachicks and Bantam and she's a freaking genius. Um, Gina and I were cracking up because you know we're in this huge off Broadway theater and there's like 150 people watching our play and it's like you know put on by all these theater queens that are you know and and we were laughing thinking about when we were first recording the songs in her tiny tenement apartment um giggling onto the floor uh, you know creating this thing from the beginning you know and, and home of the musical is actually uh, you know that once we make that a film that will be my rocky horror and then you know there's no doubt in my mind that that's going to be like a huge cult thing it's going to be like the next headwig it really is uh because the work is good because we really made this incredibly ridiculous thing together with with everything that we think is funny is crammed into that you know what i mean and so um and it's been pretty successful uh based on that and so you know but the root of of the stuff that's fun is what you kind of have to like hang on to you know what i mean
0: absolutely yeah can you give us a synopsis of Homo the Musical?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's about a gay alien from the planet Homo that comes down, <laughs> and lands in like kind of a tea party suburb where it's very gentrified. Everybody's the same. Nothing really happens. You know, it's run by this super super religious homophobic preacher um, who preaches about the devil's hole, which is of course your asshole. <laughs> And he's very, very, very scared of his own anus and everyone else's anus. And he's sure that it's going to suck you in and turn you to the dark side of homosexuality. And so, of course, you know, the galen comes down and, and ends up, and, ends up, you know, like, killing this guy's wife and assuming the role of his wife. And his wife has been so forgotten and so just kind of passed over by her children and her husband that they don't notice until it's too late. Oh, dear. Yes. But it's all the song and dance, of course. Because <laughs> it's a musical. And it has a very happy, I find, romantic ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So, uh, and the the songs are really rocking. Like, one of the things that I kind of... Like I love the musical format because you can do anything like you and I are talking then all of a sudden there's a song and dancers come out from nowhere and for someone who loves camp like I love camp, that is the most ridiculous thing ever and so musicals are amazing that way, but for me I hate the music in musicals so much that it makes me want to poke my earballs out and so uh, that's where Gina comes in because Gina's such a rocker and she's such a genius that I can come to her and be like, hey I want to write a song about dildos and she'll make it like the best thing <laughs> Ever. You know, oh, I want to write a song about, you know, buttholes and the danger of buttholes. And she'll write a full gospel, rocking gospel tune. Wow. About that, you know? And so she's really like, you know, one of my, the biggest collaborators in my life. She's really, I mean, she wrote the Nefertiti theme song, which sounds like an Isaac Hayes song. It absolutely does. It's, and it's super fucking catchy. Yeah. Speaking as
0: somebody who has had that theme song stuck in her head for longer than she'd like to admit. Oh, it'll last for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't get away from it.
1: Yeah. Um, and she, you know, she's a rocker and she can write anything. And so it's really good. You know, I, I, I'm lucky to, you know, uh, a director is only as good as their cast and their crew and all their people. And I'm really lucky to have these collaborators that are like really like world class. Like, I mean, Gina has potential to be the next Danny Elfman. She really does. I mean, she's, actually, I like her better than him. You know, (laughs) sorry, Oingo Boingo was crap. Um, (laughs) You know, but Simpsons theme is pretty fucking good. Uh, You know, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, the potential is there, you know, so we're doing all this stuff on a really low budget kind of thing, but the potential is there talent-wise for us to be able to, you know, really
0: make amazing stuff together. Man, I hope that happens because America needs you, Lola Rock. <laughs> America needs you, and America needs Home of the Musical.
1: Yeah, America needs Home of the Musical. It also needs the supermarket. It also needs a bunch of other stuff I'm doing also. Hipster Holocaust is my new script I'm working on. Amazing. Yeah. Can you can you give us any... Oh, yeah, it's a total ripoff of uh, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Only with hipsters as a hipster hive that lives underneath Williamsburg under the L train. <laughs> And, uh yeah, you know, and they just churn out people with the same mustaches and the same stupid glasses with no lenses. You know, but it is also, it's you know, it's about this couple that moves from Wisconsin and they feel like sort of out of place in New York and they're just kind of finding their footing and then all this terrible shit sort of starts to happen to them. And then, uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much of it. No, naturally, build the suspense by all means. Exactly, and it's, you know, will they be able to survive the hipster holocaust? Will they? Probably not. <laughs> I was just about to say, what what are the chances? Yeah, the chances are pretty slim, folks. (laughs) For those of you that live in New York and live through the gentrification, you know that our chances are slim. If you live along the L train, you know
0: what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. Or in Dumbo. Or in Dumbo. Or, well, through a lot of Brooklyn now. East Village. East Village is over, yeah. Well,
0: there's that specific subset of hipsters that, you know, have trust fund money. Right. The trustafarian hipsters. Um, and I don't say either of those in a demeaning way at all. I, I do. If, okay, good. Well, you know, we got both sides covered then. Yeah. Um, but it's,
1: it's it's quite a quite a subset that is pervasive. Yeah, I mean, for those guys, you know, the East Village isn't hip enough anymore. East Village is kind of overrun by, like, frat guys. For them, you know, it's straight up L train. Even to the, I'd say, Morgan stop, they go that far. Oh, and but, beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I used to live in Bushwick before they called it East Williamsburg. Dude, they're calling Western Long Island East Williamsburg. Yeah, of course they are, because you can jack the rent for that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. yeah, yeah exactly. Ridgewood, apparently, that's the new that's huh. the new neighborhood that a lot of the artists are moving to. I can't I don't I cannot speak for the hipster contingent that may be moving
1: there. I think a lot of the artists are moving to Detroit. <laughs> In Baltimore too, yes. Yes, or Philadelphia. Yeah. I can't do it. I love New York still. I don't I don't I don't care. I love this city. How long have you been here? Thirteen years. Wow. Yeah, not bad. Six films and a musical in that time. We're
0: doing all right. Not bad. That's uh what's that work out to you? A little bit a little bit more than uh
1: two a year. Yeah, I gotta I I gotta work or on those. One year, two years per project. God, I really should have been a trust fund, baby. I can really up those numbers. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh you know, I I I'm proud of everything we're doing. You know, Nefertitian space is gonna be really fun. You know, the first the first uh, shooting of Home of the Musical is going to be really, really fun. And, you know, I'm sure that I'll find a budget for a feature this year. I mean, you know, I'm waiting. My Pink Flamingos will be, you know... Whatever my next film is, the next feature I do will be the one where I just direct all the time and get to direct full time. Now, who speaking of
0: directors and directing, who have been some of your biggest influences? I know I know you've mentioned John Waters quite a bit. Yeah,
1: I love John Waters, of course. You know, uh, Sam Raimi, um, Roger Corman, as far as a producer, uh, is really inspiring because there'd be no. Anybody, no Scorsese, no Coppola, no Demi, no one without Roger Corman. Roger Corman's film school was, you know, he used to make money on drive ins, and he wouldn't even have the film yet. You know, he'd have the poster, and the poster would be like, chained girls from the planet, whatever. And he would sell, you know, a certain amount to distributors based on the poster. He would some, you know, fluffy, you know, broad girl with a gun in her hand, and then based on the distribution money, he would make the film after that. You know, but he gave all these first-time directors, you know, their shot at making their first films. But I'm also, you know, I'm friends with Lloyd Kaufman. Troma's doing really well now. I think they're making some big-budget toxic avenger which is hilarious. Wow. Yeah, ridiculous, really. You know, uh, you know, but Lloyd's a buddy of mine and so you know I call him for advice and stuff all the time. Um, who else? It's a good
0: question, you know. And also, I mean, it's sp- particular movies that have really made an impact on you. I mean, clearly Rocky Horror was was your big turning point.
1: Yeah, you know, and even when I was a kid, you know, I I would research the movies and just be like, how did Rocky Horror come to be? Rocky Horror failed so many times before it became a cult classic. Like, you know, it was a popular play in England. You know, Richard O'Brien, who played Riff Raff, wrote it. You know, Tim Curry was in it. If you can ever find a live recording of Tim Curry singing some of those songs, do it, because his voice... Do they exist? Yeah, they do exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Pandora has a couple, but, you know, and they're out there, there's some live recordings. Because what he did in the film... His vocal range is way beyond what he did in the film. Even. Wow. Yeah, he's incredible. He's an incredible performer. But, um, you know, so they did they did it as a play. You know, and the play did well in England, and then they brought it to Broadway, and it completely failed. Completely failed. First they did it in L.A., and it was fairly popular in L.A., and then they brought it to Broadway, and it tanked, and they lost a bunch of money on it, and then somehow they raised the money again. You know, it's like you just have to keep moving, you know, because... You know, every time you get down, you got to get back up again, you know. Like, totally. And then they found the money to make it a film. They made it a film. The film totally tanked, totally tanked. But then some research company found out that people were, the same people were going to see the film over and over and over again. So they reopened the film in certain cities. And this was right when, like, the midnight movie thing was starting to explode. Big yeah, 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 yeah. Flamingos just came out, you know, all this other stuff, you know. And so um, they saw that the same people were going to see the film over and over again. And so they just did a couple test markets. And now it's been playing every Friday and Saturday night for, like, 40 years. God damn. Yeah. I think it's such a shame that Tim Curry wants nothing to do with the movie Well, it's either. embarrassing to him. He was, you know, he was like a Shakespearean actor, and he did Oliver and all these other very serious roles. But he's so good. I just wish that he could soften his own self-judgment for just a second
0: to acknowledge and embrace what a brilliant fucking job he did with Frankenfurter, because...
1: Like well, no that, one could play that role except for him. No, exactly. Yeah.
0: And, I mean, Lord knows scores have tried, but, yeah. I mean just when you first see him coming down that elevator with yeah. that huge platform clicking, and he begins singing, and just his facial expressions and his voice and his
1: sex appeal. I mean, he's Well, amazing. and he really has that thing that I find only drag queens really have, which is the right moment to look at the camera and let the audience in on the joke. And you have to do it just for a second, and it's gone, or it doesn't work. And the only performers I know that can do that are drag queens. They just have that comic timing perfectly down. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so... <laughs> well, I mean, who knows? Who cares? You know, it's... It,
0: yeah. it is what it is. It is but. what it
1: is, and he has, you know, he'll always be known for that, and that's a great thing, and, you know, what can you do? True that. You know, you can either embrace it, like Jamie Lee Curtis and all her horror movies, or you can, like, run away from it, but it doesn't matter. He'll, he'll forever be that character, and, exactly. and that's it. And so. the film is...
0: Will forever be there.
1: God yeah. Willing. Well, and you can't, you know, you can't, uh, you know, if you judge people based on their outside personalities as opposed to the personalities that you get to see, no one could ever listen to jazz, right? Well said. <laughs> I'm gonna quote everyone that. <laughs> ever hear any stories about Miles Davis? Nobody would listen to one album of that, like, you know, wife beating pimp if you know, if you really took into account his personal life, you know what I
0: mean? It's true, it's true. I mean, I remember um I went to graduate school for art history, I mean contemporary art, and I remember having a moment um in particular studying some of the more infamously male artists, you know, you know and when I say infamously male, I mean like kind of chauvinistic you know super all up on themselves very self-important um and i mean jeff coons being the first one that comes to mind because i really had an issue with his like maleness and i had a moment where i was like well do i like the art or do i like the artist like there are two different things yeah you know is it the product or is it what's creating the product and in some cases i actually prefer the artist over the art and in plenty of other cases, I prefer the art over the artist. Sometimes great, both are great too, or sometimes I care for neither. Right. But it's just it's an interesting thing. Like same thing with the music. Miles Davis, brilliant musician, sort of terrible human being, depending on your opinions. Oh yeah, not sort of. <laughs> a pretty terrible human being. I actually I, I I can I I totally admit that I am not up to speed on all of Miles Davis's history. So.
1: I'm just, I'm just, you know, you not don't really want to know, but, but I think, uh, you know, also as, as a person that, uh, I wouldn't really call my, myself an artist, but as someone who creates oh, things. Oh, you're an artist, Lola. Well, I'm a fartist. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but fine, <laughs> seems so high, high, <laughs> uh, but as someone who creates something, you also have to like sort of separate yourself from the work, but you know, because I've had some like real high highs, like sold out theaters and praise and nonsense, you know, and then some real low lows like, Oh, i played this film festival and they didn't promote. And I'm standing there and my films behind me and there's four people in the audience, Makes you sense. know, or whatever, you know? And so, you know, you, You can't, um, you have to judge your own work for the work's sake and you have to try and not take anything personally because you just never know what's going to be the thing that resonates with people. And, you know, like for me, like jokes that I think are just totally going to fly and be amazing sometimes work and then other times they don't. You know, Home of the Musical was interesting because it was live and so certain jokes would work certain nights and other nights that joke would totally fail and you just never know but like with a film you know you you make the film you you put everything you have to in the film you hope for the best you know the performer changes the timing a little bit hopefully for the better sometimes for the worse then you show the film in front of people and we're talking like six months if you're lucky down the road and then you see if the joke works and then you see if oh okay that actually was a good idea that was a bad idea you know and then at my level you know I'm in charge of like everything for better or worse Mm -hmm. and so everything is you know my fault for better or worse also you know and then there's just some funny decisions that I made and I'm like really that's what I thought was funny at that juncture in my life you know like and I'll, I'll think about the shoot and I'm like what happened in that shoot where I let that go you know what I mean like you know totally. but, but even the, 2020. yeah but even the uh, you know the biggest directors do that like I always listen to commentaries of huge directors like if you listen to the commentary of Godfather 1 you know Coppola is basically like well if nothing happens with the, this film at least they have my spaghetti recipe you know and that's really what he thought he almost got fired from that film you yeah. know whoa really oh, yeah. Yeah, because the film was so, like, it was way too long, and the exposure was really, really dark for films at that time, you know, and so, you know, the money people were like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Can him. I mean, he almost got fired, you know, and so, you know, during the early parts of making that film, he didn't think it was going to be successful. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Totally. You know, and for me, you know, whatever my next feature is, I don't even know when it's going to be. It depends on when we get the money and how the money is got and who the producer is and all of that stuff. You know, you just have to go with it. You know, the supermarket, I've almost sold that script three times. And actually, I'm really happy that I didn't sell it at this point because I want to direct it. You know, but at the time I was like crushed. I was like, oh, you know, I was like, sure. You know, I made it to the final stage of whatever company and they were going to buy it. And then they just decided, you know, they decided they, it was too funny. They wanted Saw. They didn't want something that was like comedy horror. You know, it, it all depends on marketing and all that shit. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, Anything yeah. can happen at any time, you know.
0: Ain't that the truth. Right. What would you say that directing movies and being sort of like in charge of your own creative projects and the output, What what has it?
1: What have been some of the most valuable lessons you've learned? Um, I guess for me, it's all about stress management. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, uh, you know, when you can't pay your actors, you know, there's occasionally, depending on the person, there's some flakiness that happens. Like, I haven't read the script and we're in the middle of a shoot. Or I said I was showing up at two and you have ten people waiting for me and it's now five. You know, and it's just whatever happens, you just have to keep. Going, You know, for me, like I work with a lot of my friends. And so the biggest lesson is just not to take anything personally. And the only thing that matters is the work. You know, the only thing that matters is the work. Like I have personally put at this point probably 20, 30 grand of my own money into my own work. You know, um I am constantly working. The reason why I bartend is because apart from stripping, it's the highest paying part time job. You know, and I can't have a full time job because I have to dedicate myself to this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I kind of live like you know, I mean I live well but I don't have, you know, savings or any of that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And anytime I get I make a certain amount of money, like I do freelance directing and I do all this other stuff, anytime I get a chunk of money, it always goes into my work. You know, and so I'm constantly, consistently Carefully, you have a kitten underneath you. Oh, why don't I have a kitten in my lap? I was promised a kitten in my lap. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so, you know, I consistently sort of make the personal sacrifices, I guess, in order to do my work. But it doesn't matter. What matters is the work itself because when, you know... When I'm gone, what will be known of me is this ridiculous body of work that I have, you know, and I have to just keep going. You know, John Waters, before he made Pink Flamingos, made five other films, you know, in his backyard with his friends because you have to learn what you're doing. And the thing about directing is you, in order to get better, the only way to get better, you can read, do books and, you know, read whatever you want to and watch whatever you want to. But the only way to get better as a director is to be there and do it. you know what I mean and you know 10% of directing is the creative stuff that I love which is like setting up the shot and dealing with the actors you know and the other 90% is horrible things like scheduling and fixing something that goes wrong and then fixing something else that went wrong that you never foresaw and losing light and, you know, having too much light and dealing with, you know, maybe, you know, a crew that you're not exactly happy with. And then, oh, the, I just found out that my, you know, sound guy is racist. And so I have to get rid of him or like, you know, I mean, you name it, like, you know, you name it, anything can happen. You know, I mean, I had a a kid that I got from NYU who was homophobic and he's on one of my shoots Which is nutballs that even ended up there in the first place. And we were doing this overnight shoot in Atlantic City. And, you know, it took forever to schedule everybody to get them there. And then this guy was, like, too homophobic to share a hotel room with one of the other actors. Who, by the way, has a husband and could give a shit about this guy. You know, or whatever. And so I had to deal with all this, like, interpersonal stuff. And I ended up firing the guy. You know, and as I'm firing him, I'm like, you need to think about this because I'm firing you and you're working for free. I would rather have no one than you. And so hopefully you can take this lesson onward in your life (laughs) you know what I mean you know but you know a lot of what I do is stress management and so the biggest thing I learned is just to try and not get my own personal shenanigans in there because it doesn't help and also the mood of the director is the mood of everyone so you know if I'm in a bad mood everyone's going to be in a bad mood if I'm panicking about something over there (laughs) there's the kid if I'm panicking about something everyone else is going to be panicking about someone you know something and so you know, I mean, directors, you know, a lot of them, you know, like John Ford, all the, a lot of these directors have like, notorious tempers and they're notorious assholes. You know, I try and, if I can, be even killed and be good to my people because, you know, they're there because of me and I can't pay them yet. And even when I can't pay them, I would like to have respect for them and hopefully they'll have respect for me. And Absolutely. You know, it doesn't always work out that way. But, yeah, so for me, like, the biggest uh, the biggest lesson is just I don't believe your own hype. And try and get your work done as best you can, no matter what you have. That's, That's some
0: good advice right there.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: I know, I, I know squat about directing, so, I mean, apart from my own acts.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the fun stuff is when it works, (laughs) you know, when you're like, oh, I thought of that. And now, like, you know, 200 people are watching this ridiculous thing and and laughing and loving what just happened. You know, the fun part is when it works, you know, and often it does. You know, and I've seen my directing get better from just doing it. And that's great. You know, the thing about brunch that was really fun is that I wrote it. We shot it. I cut it. and, And I had like a specific deadline for this certain film festival. And, uh, we just kind of like whipped that thing out. We shot it in a day. I cut it in a day. Probably could use a couple more, you know, and then it's just out there and now it's its own thing. Like the life of your film, like dragzilla, which was my first film that I made in like, wow, I made it like 10 years ago, 13 years ago or something. Um, just opened for uh, an Ed Wood Jun- Edward D. Wood Jr. movie in Poughkeepsie, yeah. and it was like this big shenanigan, and you know, and it was so funny to see like my first attempt at doing this thing. You know, the life of your films—they'll always be out there, you know, for better or worse. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. Wow. That's so rad. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, yeah, and, you know, I got to open up for one of my heroes, Ed Wood, who, of course, did Plan 9 from Outer Space, and, you know, he struggled his whole life to do his thing, you know. Like, for me, best-case scenario, I'll be like John Waters, and everyone will know my name, and they'll see all my films. And, you know, worst-case scenario, I'll be Kenneth kind of thanger, you know, which is not too bad, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. So it's not too shabby. You know, the, now with the interwebs, you know, you never know what's going to hit, and you could reach millions of people just on, you know, my cat fell into the toilet. You know? yeah. yeah, and
0: get like 10 million hits on YouTube. Yeah. And then your video, and YouTube's been monetizing too. I think if you get over a certain amount of hits.
1: Yeah, uh, I know. They're trying to put get commercials, commercials on my already because I have five or 10,000 hits or something, and so they're trying to put commercials on my stuff now. Wow. So, you, the, you you get some of that money though, yeah? Yeah, but, you know, like a here's a quarter, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, thanks for advertising Go buy yourself fucking a the, on uh, my page. Store, here's yeah. a quarter, <laughs> you know, whatever, <laughs> like, you know. Oh, my Lord. I mean, it's the same with, like, you know, uh, distribution, and it's the same with film festivals. Like, I've had film festivals now play a bulk of my movies, and they won't even pay for me to go out there half the time. You know, and then I get a screening fee of, like, 50 bucks. Woo! You know, but when I do my own, you know, I'll, that's why I do my own screenings. When I do my own screenings, you can actually make money, you know, because you set everything up, and you sell it out, and then you make money. Yeah, has, does
0: Brunch have a New York screening date coming up? Um,
1: you know, I'm not sure when I'm going to show Brunch, to tell you the truth. So, yeah, I'm just not sure about it. You know, I might play it at Coney just because I love those guys. Um, you know, Nefertiti in Space is going to screen with the original Nefertiti, and I'll be a, I'll, that'll be a big black exploitation to-do um br- you have a kitten behind you watch out oh my god <laughs> oh it's eating my face uh, yeah no uh you know i'm not sure about brunch i mean brunch is so cute it's only four minutes long you know and it is disgusting it's really fun to watch oh. in the crowd because they don't know what to do <laughs> which is the intent you know they really don't know what to do because it's like kind of sexy but really horrible uh, and it's so uncomfortable for everyone The com- the, the comedic timing in
0: it um, I don't want to give too much away. I mean, it is only a four-minute movie. Don't but eat the quiche, yeah. Yeah, don't
1: eat the quiche. Whatever you do, don't <laughs> eat the quiche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the fun thing with brunch, I actually got lucky, and and uh, when I was in Boston, Mink Stoll came to that screening. Yes,
0: God, I remember that.
1: Yeah, and so uh, and she's awesome, incredible, and exactly how you want her to be, just like the coolest chick in the world, and just so funny, and like has all these crazy anecdotes about making movies with John Waters in the beginning, and you know, she's just like, and she's been in all this like amazing, you know, but I'm a cheerleader and all this gay stuff, and she's just the coolest coolest woman in the world and for her like she saw all my work and she liked brunch the best which was surprising you know because that's the least john Watersy out of all of them and she said that she liked it because there was not one shot that you didn't need in there which is true you know it's it's cut together really well and the thing that i liked about brunch is you know i had a shot list and we went exactly to the shot list which is pretty rare for me usually i have a shot list and then i have another shot list and then we kind of get half of both and then other things happen because i work with funny people and then we change a bunch of stuff you know and it's way more sort of fluid than that but brunch was really like i had this really uptight nyu crew which was awesome they did an incredible job you know but it was really like by the book like we were germans you know just really this shot that shot this shot that shot let's go you Brilliant. know and and it was great to see that happen to see that work that way you know so wow
0: i think i'm going to i without a doubt i am going to put a link or embed, rather, the uh, film oh, in, please do. in the blog post. Oh, yeah. Put is...
1: Nefertiti up there, too. Love
0: oh, yeah. Nefertiti. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the Nefertiti is, what, 17 minutes long?
1: I think yeah, 16, 17. 16, so 17 credits. minutes. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So easily, people who are listening, y'all can watch this on your lunch break and...
1: Hey, if you and you'll be glad you did. You. You'll be singing the Never Titty theme song in no time. Never Titty, Never Gina, Titty. <laughs> Gina actually did the music for a brunch also, but we were making fun of like that terrible oh lesbian God, Yes. Oh, no. It
0: was perfect, like, Sarah McLaughlin
1: meets the Indigo Girls. Yeah, moves. and it's funny. when I, I tried to give Gina an example of that music, and so I was trying to listen to like Melissa Etheridge and all that stuff. F-Ridge, and yes. I hate that stuff so much <laughs> that I couldn't even <laughs> listen to it long enough to send her like a link. I was just like, look, Ani Franco, blah, 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 bad acoustic bullshit that and so she <laughs> and so and so she made it you know and it's Perfect. Yeah, and, she, and it, it's great because her guitar keeps sort of going out of tune as things go south, you know, and so it's perfect how it is, but she refused to put her name on it, so her name is Estrus Vulvaslap in the movie. <laughs> so I just blew it. Sorry, Gene. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is terrible. It is terrible. And the funny thing is, like, gay festivals love that movie for a few reasons. One, because it's four minutes long, and two, because it's, like, a funny lesbian movie, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Yes, quote-unquote tongue-in-cheek. Could we put
0: that... There's got to be something better.
1: Uh, just don't eat the quiche. That's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> Listen to Lola. She's, she knows don't what eat she's the talking quiche. about. Yeah,
1: I mean, I feel like I'm sort of all over the place because I'm working on a bunch of stuff right now. Like, my favorite part about winter is it's all dark and you don't want to go outside. And so I kind of, like, all of the projects that I'm working on, I work on them intensely in this time. And so I am a little bit all over the place, but... uh. Definitely stay tuned for Nefertiti in space. It's going to be sick. Absolutely. Now, would you be willing and or interested to talk at all
0: about your... your dream project involving
1: uh gilda Radner? sure uh yeah i've been working on the script for a long time uh based on one of my favorite comedians gilda Radner. when i was a kid she was like the funniest person i could think of and i'm completely obsessed with her and so uh you know i did a bunch of research and i read every book that was ever kind of written about her and i wrote this um script that's you know, I mean, it's fiction, but it's also fact of the stuff that she was going through. You know, she was really bulimic her whole time through Saturday Night Live. And, you know, it struggled with, like, some heavy-duty daddy issues. Had, like, a terrible mom, and her dad died when she was young. And kind of everyone she dated was sort of, like, looking for her father. And I kind of have that, you know, in common because, you know, my dad split when I was, like, seven. And I saw him a couple times until I was an adult. And so we have that in common. And so it was really good to work on the script and sort of work through my own daddy issues with that stuff. And... um Uh, And that one is, you know, the funny thing is, like, she's a comedian, but it's really the closest drama I have because her life was so dark, but she just brought all this light to other people, which I find very admirable. Talk about separating the artist from the art. You know, she never gave... Any kind of interview where she wasn't being hilariously funny, you know, and this is while she had boyfriends that abused her and was throwing up in every bathroom in 30 Rock and, you know, was consistently struggling with food and self-acceptance and all this other really dark stuff, you know, uh but her work is so like jovial and almost childlike, you know, and just funny. Just funny. I mean, you know, and it was a very sexist time, you know. John Belushi had said that women just aren't funny. And then he was like, well, Gilda is. You know, but you know, she had a really hard time getting you know, she was like a feminist just in what she was doing because she basically did this slapstick humor, you know, like a man. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm Uh and in one case, you know, um there's like her little child character. I'm spacing her name right now, but, you know, she does her little, like, thing in her brownie outfit where yes. she's, you know. Um, she throws herself up against a door for part of the skit, and in throwing herself up against the door in rehearsal, she broke two ribs. And it was so hard for the women writers to get their stuff on the show at that time that they were going to, like, cut the act, and the woman who wrote it with her was, like, all upset, and she was like, no, I'll do it. And so she did the skit with two broken ribs, and if you watch the skit, she didn't not throw herself up against that door just as hard. With two broken ribs, I mean, she was really like a badass. She was a badass. She really was. Yeah. You know, um, and those guys, you know, Saturday Night Live, those guys work 80-hour weeks. You know, it's crazy what they did. You know, and everyone was on coke, but not Gilda. She was just barfing all the time. Everybody had their problems. <laughs> you know, but um, but that script, um, best case scenario, I really want to get it to Tina Fey because she got into comedy because of Gilda. Um, and I just, you know, just got, I don't know, whatever, I just sort of signed with his agent, so we'll see if that happens, you know, but the thing about that is, that's like my dream project, like, to be able to direct that, you know, I just have to, like, keep going until I can get that, but that script, you know, I'll probably end up selling sooner or later, and then hopefully it'll be, it'll be made the best way it possibly can, which is with, you know, Tina Fey at the helm, and, and, uh, you know, it'll be sort of an homage to this person that was really, truly incredible, you know, she really, like, You know, there's, like, Lucille Ball, and then the next, like, TV comedian, you know, that really changed things for women in comedy was Gilda, so. Yeah. Man, I hope that—I can't wait for that to happen. Well, with my work, it's going to be—it's sort of like an all-or-nothing thing. Like, I'll get get recognition then once that happens— everything will happen you know what i mean like friends of mine that i've worked with like in more corporate video stuff you know um this friend of mine who's been doing tv for like a long time was like well when you go it's all gonna go you know what i mean and so for me i'm just prepping to be ready for when i do get my chance and i get my moment where i actually do meet a producer that can really help me and then it's all gonna go you know so yeah and I'm, it's i'm looking forward to it It'll be good. i'm gonna i'm gonna put
0: some good energy uh towards that i hope all of the listeners do too um, but also in the form of a kitten purring. We're just oh, yeah. gonna. I hold on just a second. I'm just gonna hold the mic up to um, Helen Yeller, my blind foster kitten, who is purring like crazy right now. Yes, that was the sound of her fur and some purring. That was pretty effing cute. <laughs> yeah. I just figured, you know, a Gilda, your Gilda deserves to
1: deserves be a made kitten time. Yeah, and an think- absolutely some some loving kitten realness. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I'm really proud of that script. I've worked really hard on it, and, you know, um, the thing about writing is it's all in the rewriting, and so it's just rewriting and rewriting and trying to, like, make it as good as it can be as a thing. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, I've been working really hard on it, so... Hopefully it's good as a thing, you know? And then Hipster Holocaust is really great because the first draft is always the most fun because you can just do anything you want, and you don't have to worry about it being good yet. (laughs) You know, you just write, 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 write. And so, you know, that one has just been really fun. And also because I get to make fun of hipsters, which who doesn't like to do that? (laughs) That weird fashion. Come on. You're 24 and you're wearing a grandma sweater.
0: I have to say one of the most confounding things about especially hipster female fashions It's how they all really try hard to look like dowdy
1: librarians. Yeah, but not sexy librarians, just librarians. Yeah, Yeah, to me it's funny with the parka. Like, it's always the skinny pants, the parka, those tiny little shoes. Like, they're French, and then the glasses, the bulky. Have you ever been to Beacon's Closet and seen any of the
0: ladies who work there? Like, the huge frame glasses, the sort of, like, blousey top or sweater, followed by, like, a knee-length pleated skirt sometimes, or, you know, just, like... Stuff that with beautiful women in their twenties it's it's not the most
1: i mean it that is a conscious choice. yeah, but it doesn't matter because they're dating those guys with those silly mustaches, sure. so who cares yeah. yeah. You know, those guys that are wearing plaid shirts like it's the fucking 90s, and they got a, they have those stupid mustaches. Like, who cares? Oh, I should say Hipster Holocaust. The, uh, my DP that worked on Brunch, uh, my buddy Laura Moss, who's amazing, is going to come in, and we're going to probably co-direct Hipster Holocaust because, uh, because we just want to. So and, and Laura's awesome. She's really fun, and we squeal about the same thing. So she's we're both addicted to horror movies, so it should be really fun. So.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So um, we still have some time, uh, but before I forget, how how can people find you? I mean, while we're talking, if they want to be running the podcast and f- immediately follow it up with some of your work. If you
1: look in the gutters of Flatbush, Brooklyn, I'll be there with a <laughs> bottle of Jack in my hand. No, um, the easiest way to find me... Uh, you know, Lola Rock and Rolla on the Facebook. Um, you know, if you're a good producer and you want to find money for me, Lola Rock and Rolla. Or your Gmail. Tina Fey. Or your Tina Fey. I actually, I have actually, a line to Tina Fey, but it's a little creepy, so I will tell you that story. Okay. But, uh, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I can either go the real way with the agent, or I can stalk her. But either way, I'm getting to Tina Fey this year. I'm excited. She's amazing. She she really um, encourages women writers and their work too. She's really cool.
0: So. Did you see the? Because uh, the Golden Globes were just aired last night. Did you have you watched any of her co-hosting with Amy Poehler? Yeah,
1: I love that stuff because they just don't give a shit, and they're genuinely funny comedians. They are fucking
0: hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I actually don't have a TV, and so I was I was you know YouTubing some of that stuff today, and then was it, I was annoyed. I was that just all the YouTube stuff is like besieged by ads now and like, you know, stupid little like YouTube sponsored videos with some host that's like some squeaky girl that's like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I don't want to see you. I want to see these two broads do what they do best. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah there, was, there was one joke in particular that had me. it it was so simple and so perfect about when they were um, talking about American Hustle Uh and they said you know the alternate title for that was Explosion in the Wig Factory yeah that was an incredible joke my my favorite joke that they did was um,
1: was the one about George Clooney oh about gravity yeah gravity gravity is about George Clooney who would rather die a fiery death than spend one more minute with a woman float away yeah float float away to his death than spend one more minute with a woman his age I mean that is just good writing it's good writing
0: I mean the, the laughter in that was palpable. I mean people were straight up dying yeah. laughing. Yeah.
1: Well and those award shows are so hokey and stuff, you have to be a really good comedian to like, you know, pull that stuff off. So yeah. I mean at the root of what I do it's it's ridiculous comedy writing and so I I've been rooting for those guys the whole time. I'm really excited. Yeah, Yeah, and I know that when I do get to um, the point where I can reach Tina Fey with the script that, you know, it's it's like destiny. I know it's supposed to happen, and so it's just going to happen. It's just a matter of how to get there, you know, um, and doing the work. It's all about doing the work because when you get that chance, you better fucking be ready or you're you're an asshole you know what i mean seriously like (laughs) if you get that chance and you're like oh my script isn't done you know you're just an asshole you know what i mean so and so this time for me right now is really like the hibernation time of making the work itself as good as i can make it you know absolutely yeah so yeah Yeah, it's got to hibernate so it can
0: spring forth indeed fully fully formed
1: yes like a kitten in your lap like a
0: kitten in my lap yeah yes uh (laughs) what were we talking about before that? All of that. Oh, yeah. uh, where to find you, how to find you. Oh, yeah, you. yeah.
1: So, yeah, LolaRockandRolla.com business and then Facebook and, you know, I am on Twitter, although... You're I'm not, not like, a very good tweeter. No, I don't care about it. I'm trying to care. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to care, but I just don't care. I just don't care. It's so boring to me. It's It's, you know...
0: The thing I really appreciate about Twitter is that it's an excellent promotional device. I know, but and you can tag people and they retweet, and especially if they have heavy followers, that way people find out about you. I know, I know, I understand. Can
1: I just? I want to hire a kid to tweet for me. Do Uh
0: It's called intern, and uh, it, that can happen. Yeah. I'm actually looking for an intern myself right now. Oh yeah. So I need an intern, a social media intern.
1: I need an intern that's not a wackadoo. I had a couple people try and intern for me last year, and uh, I just, I'm not a therapist. I don't have time for, yeah. I have to say, in
0: my my search for an intern, I was basically what could be considered a professional intern for years before I had, you know, throughout. I started interning in high school, throughout college, even after college, um, you know, for squat money, and I got really used to just, you know, applying and going in for interviews now that I'm on the other side of that and looking for an intern and reading some of these cover letters or getting emails with absolutely no cover letter with just a resume that has absolutely nothing to do with what I am looking for it's like who who is teaching you to do this like what 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 is your thought process oh wait hold on a second never mind cuz I'm not even going to contact you right? right like it's it's amazing what can be shown in just that initial approach yeah yeah out of i'd say after out of like six or seven people there's one viable candidate so well then your figure. choice
1: is easy indeed yeah indeed. um yeah listeners out there i need an intern i want you to be excited about movies and not be a total nut job
0: okay so be excited about movies not be a total nut job uh any level of schooling or
1: experience We well, just have to be good on the interwebs all the kids are good anyway because they grew up with it so. that's true beneath a certain age absolutely yeah yeah i really i know i'm supposed to do the twitter i just it's only so much time in the day it's true
0: and the thing is with twitter it's it's always there it's not going anywhere and you can go on it you can go off it okay. i i was super anti twitter for a very long time and then i was like fine i guess i'll join and i have to say it's I almost have three, I have close to 3,000 followers. Oh, good job. And so I know like my retweets, they reach a lot of people. Mind you, some of those people are all over the world and you absolutely won't be able to make it to whatever show I'm retweeting or, you know, whatever. But for stuff like, you know, I'm certainly going to tweet the shit out of this interview. Right. And you better retweet it or else I'm going to come find you because I know where you live. Oh, damn it.
1: Where's my intern? I'll retweet it. (laughs) It'll be an excellent, um, uh, what's the word, practice for you. It's just there's only so many hours in the day. Facebook is so annoying already, you know. And I got like, oh, here's my problem with Facebook. I have 4,700 Facebook friends, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'll do a call for extras, and two people will show up.
0: Oh Jesus. You know
1: what I mean? So why do I care? It doesn't serve me. It's just a complete waste of time that takes me away from my writing. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. And Twitter is just another thing. And then fucking LinkedIn. And then how many different things do I need to do? Tumblr, Pinterest. Oh, God. Yeah, just kill me. Just <laughs> get it over with. Give me that kitten.
0: Yeah, hold it's on. gonna listen that? again to her purring. That's the sound of the kitten purring and Lola scratching her furry belly.
1: It's a very furry belly. (laughs) Why's your belly so big if you're so small? Who knows? She's just a kitten.
0: She eats like a fucking spaz.
1: Yeah, she has like one of those hard beer bellies, like those guys get later.
0: Yeah, it's thankfully not super hard. That would be a a source of concern. But she definitely has a kitty belly. I like this. I I, I like that this interview has covered everything from John Waters to purring kittens to homophobic NYU students.
1: To, you know, I, uh, I often think of John Waters and kittens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, it's a good uh, alliteration. No, I can't even call it alliteration. A simile that has nothing to do one with the other.
1: <coughs> yeah, that's uh, that sounds about right. That I've, had, about I've right. had three cups of coffee, so that sounds about <laughs> right. Oh, real quick, uh, you know, I don't know when this thing is going up, but my band's sweet- today. Oh, my band Sweet Tits is playing on Saturday at Branded. Amazing. Branded Saloon in Prospect Heights yes. on Vanderbilt. In Vanderbilt and something. Bergen, I think.
0: Yeah. Speaking of sweet tits, um, I I mean I can't wait to go see you guys finally when that does happen. Yes, um that's true. Can you give us just a little hint as to uh some of the I don't know? The process behind Sweet Tits and some of your song titles. Sure.
1: Uh, the process behind so Sweet much. Tits is uh, a friend of mine who plays guitar was going through a divorce and so I was like let's start a band and see some girls boobs and so that's that's the depth in which we started the world's greatest rock and roll band Sweet Tits um, and Sweet <laughs> Tits is like basically like the lesbian spinal tap. I'm singing. I'm the lead jackass of this and I do actually play saxophone. i And And played saxophone in a bunch of different bands and, you know, whatever. And, you know, and I can sort of sing. I have a Joan Jett range uh which is none. And um yeah, and uh, the whole purpose of the band is trying to we try and get as many people naked as possible. We don't really care your gender. We prefer women, but you know, whatever if you want to show us your tits and you're a guy, that's fine. Um song titles such as uh bad metaphor, uh, we'll never know who gave me herpes, that's a new one.
0: Wait, isn't there one inspired by your recent bout with food poisoning?
1: Oh yeah, that's called bad taco. Um that's also about <laughs> ex-girlfriends. Uh yeah. Barfing, 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 shitting, shitting, shitting. Um <laughs> That's a fantastic song. Um uh what else? I'm I'm not your lesbian plaything that's based on pretty much most of my life. Yeah, where I'll have some straight person jump on me and and uh, you know, and then you know, I'll make out with them and look up and there's some guy standing there and I'm like, oh, this again, get off me. You're not invited, we don't need you. Um yeah, uh what else? Let's see. I can't uh, show us your tits, of course, is the anthem. Yeah. You know, yeah, Sweet Tits is a great band. We're very, very ridiculous. I was gonna so. say if you guys had some
0: recordings, I would make sure to do the intro and afterwards. We're actually this episode. we're recording
1: our first album, Greatest Tits, uh and that <laughs> is that is gonna be we were contemplating, we just got a guy drummer, we had a female drummer, we just got a guy drummer, so we were contemplating calling it uh eight boobs and two balls, but I think Sweet Tits <laughs> Sweet tits. So that's going to be a song instead. Uh, sweet tits, greatest tits is, is pretty much uh, what's... And we have a lot of videos that are, that are set for the summer. We're going to shoot the videos in the summer because we're shooting a bunch of other stuff in the spring. It's a busy time.
0: Uh, and and so, it's frankly painful to be topless outside when it's cold.
1: Well, yeah, but your nipples are great. They really do. That's true, but that's also why God invented ice. Mm, and ice true. packs. That's true. Yeah, you got a good point there. Well, Sweet Tits usually plays inside. So we actually got invited. We do, we've we only been a band for, I want to say, like nine months. Uh, and we've played three gigs so far because everyone's in other bands. And, you know, I'm doing film stuff. And so we're just busy. And so we only play when it's going to be fun and you, we want to do it. And so, um, yeah, but we've only had three gigs that I've already been recognized in the park, like before coffee. Hey, Sweet Tits. I'm like, whoa, okay, how you doing? Oh, my god. You know, god. show me your tits. Yeah, so, um, yeah. It's and sweet. you're sure that's not just some, like
0: freaky weirdo
1: I have no idea it was before coffee I don't know who the hell it is <laughs> but yeah no so the band is is doing really well and the thing that I love about my band is whatever the suggestion is is usually a go I was like hey I want to do a cover of maniac from Flashdance, and then I want it to, to go into eye of the tiger and then go into this journey song and then back to maniac and everyone's like of course we should do that
0: <laughs> you have chosen your chosen your band members well yes, yes, I
1: have yes, yes, I have and uh yeah, we've been working on this uh this other song, sex Nightmare, <laughs> and for the video, I think I'm gonna basically be fairly naked, but you know, dressed up, you know, did you are you okay, dressed I just up like dressed up like face. Lincoln from the head up, but the naked oh my from' God. Cause it's a sex nightmare which if you've ever had one I had, this, I had this sex nightmare recently where I was sleeping with someone new and it was kind of fuzzy I couldn't really tell who she was and all of my exes were lined up cross armed like basically taking notes and just mad mad and taking notes and so wow. yeah sex nightmare is going to be good I'm looking forward to that Yeah. So. I hope that at least becomes a stanza of yeah. the song yeah yeah exactly uh, oh and there's also um, your pussy is mine tonight that's our ballad it's very sweet Sounds like it. I take your pussy to the movie show and buy her some buttered popcorn. Yeah, it's very romantic. Most of it is about romance and trying to see girls' boobs. It's like my 15-year-old boy self. It's my band that I always wanted to be in. (laughs) And it works. Like, you know, out of our gigs, uh, the first show we played, there were, like, eight naked girls on stage. The second show was in this gay guy bar in the West Village. And so there were a bunch of guys that were naked, and one guy hopped on stage and kind of started suckling my teat, which was really funny. Yes, I said teat, ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> because that is the straightest thing I've done in like 20 years or something. And probably for him, the straightest thing he's ever done, because he was a gold star. And, and so that... Two gays made a straight. Two gays made a straight, yeah. And so as this was happening, and the whole crowd was completely horrified by all of it, I, I was just looking at him, you know, like, why are we doing this? And he's like, yeah, sorry, drunk, got into the sweet tits, and then jumped off stage. <laughs> so, you know, a sweet tit show, you never know what's going to happen. Oh my God!
0: So you're playing this Sunday at
1: Branded. Saturday at Branded. Saturday, sorry. Yeah, wow. uh, at 10:30, and it's uh, my guitarist is moving to Baltimore, so yeah, we're gonna record our album in Baltimore later in the year, which is gonna be really fun. Um, and so yeah, and so it's her last gig before she moves to amazing Baltimore. Yeah.
0: Wow. So before we close, I um, there's a story that you told me. You mentioned that you play saxophone. Saxophone. <laughs> um, and you told me a story once that. I laughed so hard I'm pretty sure I hurt myself
1: um, okay.
0: about how you avoided your religious education growing up by playing your saxophone.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, well, I, I, you know, when you're a Jew, you're a Jew all the way. Hey, um, I, uh, my mother, we're really terrible Jews. My dad is an atheist. Um, he often had Christmas trees and things he he told me when I was very young that the best thing about being Jewish is if you don't believe in God you don't have to convert and so that was kind of the Jewishness that I grew up with I have this huge Jewish family in New Jersey and I'm like an alien compared to them I'm so weird and different than all of them um but for the comedy, that's our common thing or whatever. But my mother is, is like, feels guilty that we're not Jewish enough, you know, for the we need the suffering and the, you know, you can't let go of anything that has happened to Jews ever. And you must talk about the Holocaust during dinner as much as possible and things like that. Um, she's a lovely woman, but she feels guilty that we're not Jewish enough. You know, like we start with the prayer, Baruch, Atah, Adonai, and then everyone just sort of peters off. <laughs> Like, I know nothing after that. But <laughs> so she tried to make us go to synagogue, and that didn't really work very well. Like, you know, I was fully developed personality, you know, assholism wise, by the time I was like six or seven. And so, you know, by the time I was like 12, you know, her trying to make me go for a three hour religious ceremony. <sighs> on a Saturday was just not going to happen. And so I used to lock myself in the bathroom, and this is when um, – I must have been like 13, 14 because I just started playing saxophone. Um, and and so I'd lock myself in the in the bathroom, and I'd get on the roof and play saxophone on the roof, much to the chagrin of my neighbors because I was not good. And that is a very loud instrument to not be very good at. <laughs> On a Saturday morning at about 10 a.m. And so finally, uh, with the backlash, she gave up on me going to, sac- to uh, yeah, to religious school. Oh it was that, and I made all the kids play strip dreidel once, and then I got kicked out. Strip dreidel. Yeah, which is awesome, because who knows what those letters mean anyway. I sure don't, so... <laughs>
0: Will you please make that into a Sweet, sweet Tits song?
1: Strip Dreidel, yeah. As long as we can play, like, a punk rock Havana Gila in the middle dreidel, of that, no dreidel, problem. Dreidel. <laughs> I made it out of play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um Yeah, that's uh, that's not a bad idea. We'll work that into the Eye of the Tiger. Oh. <laughs> Eye of the Tiger going into Maniac, going into Dreidel, coming back into Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> yeah, mean, it's, it's just a lot of really serious work to be done, oh let me tell you. Yeah.
0: I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being such a goddamn weirdo.
1: Um, you're welcome. I, there's nothing I can really do about it. It's just always been that way. So you're welcome. I, I'm, I'm very thankful for all of you. Yeah, I do have to say, weirdos of New York, we have to stay together. You know, don't move out of our town. Then the hipster holocaust will happen, and then that's just all we are. We become what? Fucking Boston? Fuck that. You know, New York is about the artists and the freaks, and so, you know, we may be spread out now. We're not all in the same neighborhood, but... We're still here, and they're all in my movies.
0: I think we're going to end on that note, Lola. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, oh,
1: thank you, Miss Legs Malone. I love you. I so. love you too, and yeah. I look forward to having you back um, very soon. Yeah, anytime. Well, we should we should do something with Maine once we really start the bulk Ab- of our shooting.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I would love for uh, Sweet Tits to, um, you know, make an
1: appearance, especially once you have an album. Yes, greatest tits. We're coming to you, baby. Tits. Yeah. Yeah. The videos are what I'm the most excited about. So, we're going to shoot videos like we are White Snake. Yeah. Speaking of a wig factory that exploded. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> Thank God. Thank God for you, Lola. Thank God for Sweet Tits. Thank God for Sweet Tits. Thank you. And we're we're just going to go out on uh the kitten purring. And there you have it, folks, my interview with the one and only Lola Rock and Rolla, complete with five-week-old kitten purring and, um, yeah, basically everything else. (laughs) I can't wait to have Lola back and uh, definitely stay tuned uh, as Lola makes her way into much more public arenas that we can all admire her work from much closer distances than, you know, just YouTube, going to, like, the movies or something. Anyway, if you want to check out Lola, by all means, go visit her website, lolarockandrolla.com. You can also check her out on YouTube. Like she said, all of her movies, at least the majority of them, are all on YouTube, um, and I highly recommend watching Nefertiti, uh, the first one. Uh, Basically all of them. They're all not to be missed. Um, And by all means, if you go to one of her screenings, go up to her. Tell her hi. Tell her that you heard her vent, explain, uh, wax poetic on this very podcast. I'm sure she will appreciate it, as will I. So again, ladies and gentlemen, I can't wait to bring you a brand spanking new episode same time next week. Thanks again so much for tuning in. I couldn't do this without people like you. Well, I could. It just would be a lot less gratifying. So, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I wish you all a fabulous week. Lots of love. Bye.